Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. This week, we're taking a look at the maker movement. We have lots of questions. What is a makerspace, and what does a typical one look like? Why are libraries considered the perfect place to host a makerspace? And what does being a maker mean anyway? First, we'll talk with Christina Holzweiss, a library media specialist at Bayshore Middle School in New York. Christina is spearheading the maker movement in school libraries across Long Island. Later, We'll talk with two Scholastic employees who helped create the Klutz Maker Lab, an exciting line of new products. They include DIY gumball machines, an air blast cannon, and remote control race cars. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. We're delighted that you're here to talk with us about makerspaces. First, I'd like to ask you to tell our listeners a little bit about your school community and your role as a librarian. Well, we are a middle school on Long Island. We have a very diverse student population. We have about almost 1,400 students here at the middle school grades 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. They're a really great bunch of kids. They're like your average kids all over America. But it's very unique because we are such a diverse community. You'd be very happy to say that we do get along. You know, kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, We have uh, special ed, uh, English language learners, regents children, honors, and we all get along. It doesn't matter about your socioeconomic background, your, your culture, your nationality, religion, gender. It really doesn't matter. We are truly a melting pot here on Long Island. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Now, before I ask you about the maker space at your school in your library, could you talk a little bit about the maker movement itself? The maker movement right now, we have some people think it's a buzzword, but it truly isn't. Making goes as far back as when we first lit fire. We've always been making. We've been making tools. We've been making ways to entertain ourselves. We've been making ways to communicate with one another. So we have been making for eons. Just now, we've put a title on it, the maker movement. I remember when I was growing up, it was STEM education, which has now become STEAM education and hands-on learning, project-based learning, problem-based learning. We've gone for a little circle and we're back to the beginning again. If you've heard of Piaget or Montessori, these are thought leaders many years ago who believed in kids learning through their hands and creating things and applying their knowledge to the quote-unquote real world through authentic opportunities. So we've been doing this quite longer than we thought we have. But I would say the resurgence of the maker movement is kind of like a rebirth in creativity and a rebirth in innovation where people are being more mindful and more thoughtful about connecting with one another through their making. So it's not just I sit home and crochet or someone I know scrapbooks, more people are getting together and sharing these common interests and learning from one another. I think that's what the movement is doing. 
the maker movement is not a movement of things. It's a movement of people. It's a movement of people who are learning from one another and trying to make a difference, creating new technologies, trying to solve world's problems. It's not all these gadgets and gizmos that we, that we know of, that we love. It's the people that are behind them. Interesting. In that context, it makes me think that Ben Franklin is the ultimate maker. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Many of the Native Americans, the colonists, our sixth graders are learning about the ancient Chinese, the Egyptians. Making has been going on forever. At your school, you talked about the fact that you have a diverse student population, and I know many of the students are English language learners. Mm-hmm. How does the makerspace help facilitate their conversation skills, for example, or developing their language skills? I think having things that the students can interact with. Puppets. I just brought in puppets to our library. They love the puppets. Puppets, arts and crafts, painting, we have Bloxels for video game design, virtual reality, robots, all those things you can learn through exploration and hands-on, especially Legos, Snap Circuits, Connects that are color-coded. So special education students and English language learners don't feel so intimidated if they don't have the vocabulary to speak about what they want to create or speak to their partner. Everything is color-coded, or they could look at a book and they could look at the patterns. They don't necessarily have to have to be able to read a manual in order to create something. And you have two students sitting down creating using connects. It's like little kids who learn who don't have biases anymore. They're sitting there, they're children, they're connecting with one another on more of an emotional level. And they can speak. One child could say to the other, can you pass me the orange piece? And the other child could say, this piece, know that piece. And so it's conversational. It's not so much worrying about the grammar and the syntax. It is the language to connect with others. So makerspaces are wonderful for special ed students and English language learners. You might see in a class using the Bloxels video game design, You might see students from all different levels in that class and never know who's classified learning disabled, who's classified as an English language learner because they're all interacting and they're all learning from one another. That's extraordinary. What are some of the fun things that they've made or created? Well, they love the connects, like I said, and they have a large Ferris wheel that they've created. They build cars out of them. They can build buildings, bridges. We have kiva planks, which are these very basic pieces of wood, and they've built very tall towers with them. You could talk about structure and physics just using pieces of wood. I've had an English language learner teacher bring in her students, and the students create weather reports in front of a green screen. So they practice their communication skills, and we also green screen them so they learn a little bit of technology at the same time. This year has been the year of coding. Many of our math teachers went to a local conference and they learned more about the hour of code and computational thinking and coding skills. So actually this year, I've been collaborating a lot with the the math teachers. I find the websites and the tools that are appropriate for their learning levels. And so they're progressing through websites like Scratch, Google, Computer Science, Bitsbox, 
Bloxwells, they're going through learning about computational thinking. So this actually has been the year of math for me. I wanted to ask you about slime. <laughs> capital S, capital you say slime, L. And I was like, oh, slime. <laughs> Tell our listeners what inspired it and what have you learned from it? Well, I went to my first Maker Faire at the New York Hall of Science years ago, and I said, I really would love to bring this to my students. The admission to go to Maker Faires are very expensive. I don't know if you've been to one, but the New York Hall of Science is one of the flagship ones, and it is awesome. But for many children, it's a very difficult event to attend because of transportation and because of price. So I said, well, I'd like to recreate that feeling here. So in 2000, fall of 2013, actually, I started creating a makerspace in my own library with just yogurt containers and boxes and battle caps and whatever I could find. And two years later, I said, you know, I really would like to have this maker fair type place here. So I love acronyms and I want it to be all inclusive, all of Long Island. So I came up with SLIME, Students of Long Island Maker Expo. And I approached my principal and I said, you know, could we house it here at Bayshore Middle School? And my principal, Dr. Atlow, was gracious enough to say yes. She had no idea what it was going to look like, neither did I. So we had it here for two years. And then we've grown to the point where we've had to rent a museum. And this year, we're actually going to a local college because the maker movement and STEAM education has just exploded on Long Island. So at SLIME, you've had kids who are presenting almost like science fair kind of um, presentations, but we also had local libraries, local organizations come, nonprofits, museums, because my feeling is there's a seat for everyone at the table. If you go to library conferences or educational conferences, parents and kids aren't there. If you go to kids' camps, teachers aren't there. If you go into parent-teacher association meetings, kids aren't there and teachers. There's always someone missing. Slime is all-inclusive. There's no one is missing. Everyone's invited. And I think what I learned the most was the feeling that people left with. They made connections with one another. They made friends with each other. And it was that feeling of bonding and camaraderie that we need more than ever in our society. And it brought people together. And it wasn't the stuff that they were making. It wasn't the 3D printing. It wasn't the artwork. It was the connections that people were making with one another. And that's what slime is all about. Well, that's really nice. Still, what were they making? What were they making? Oh, well, artwork. We were using Morphe as a local company that has a 3D printing app. We were using that. We had the high school bring robotics. And then we were also doing some community service projects. So my mother donated fleece material and we made blankets for babies just by tying knots and making blankets. We made signs for Habitat for Humanity. We made bandanas for dogs at the local animal shelter that say, you know, adopt me. We made pillows for animals by just cutting off the top where the, I guess, where the arms are. And the kids would sew the top and the bottom and stuff them. So it was, people think, well, what is the maker movement? It's everything. It's nothing that can't be included in it. 
Christina, what about books? What recommendations do you give to your students or how do you interact with them or talk with them about books as well? I really like having books in our makerspace. I have a bookcase of all um, makerspace ideas, but it could be anything entrepreneurial, even like things like robotics. It could be anything about coding. So there are books in the makerspace for them to refer to. For other nonfiction books or fiction books, the fact that I was able to genreify our fiction section, I think has really helped. So when students come in, I haven't read every book, but I know students who have read certain books so I can connect with them. Or I've heard when a student has returned a book, what they liked about it. So I'll write notes so I know the stu next student coming in, I know what to say, or I'll have a student write a post-it note on it with a little recommendation. But by genrefying it, kids can say, oh, I really like mystery books. Well, here's the mystery section. I really like historical fiction. Here's a historical fiction section. I think making a library more user-friendly, it takes away that, that space between the librarian and the student. It's not the us and them anymore. It's the we. We're together. We're looking at books. I love science fiction, so I recommended a science fiction book barcode tattoo to one of my students who is a whiz, whiz with the 3D printer and he's really into our makerspace. He's a very smart kid, but he and I never talked about books. And I said, you know, you really need to try this book. You really need to try the barcode tattoo. Well, he read that book and now he loves everything by that author. And the other day, a student came in looking for a book recommendation and he brought that student to the science fiction section because now he knows that's what he likes. He didn't know he liked that before. Oh, so you're helping them all to be mini curators too. Yes, yes. Oh, that's, that's really great. Also, I want to congratulate you. Library Journal named you a mover and shaker this year. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Why you. are you a mover and shaker? I created a nonprofit with my husband called Long Island Leads. Again, another acronym to learn, educate, advocate, develop, and support the maker movement and STEAM education on Long Island. A friend of mine was a White House fellow and he had invited me to the National Week of Making kickoff where I met maker space ambassadors from all of the United States. So I came home and I told my husband that this is something I really want to get involved with. And he and I created the nonprofit. And our nonprofit is one of the several founding members of the Nation of Makers, which is a national movement to promote the maker movement and STEAM education throughout the United States. So I'm trying to connect libraries with museums, with schools, and with companies. We tend to isolate ourselves, but librarians are the natural connectors. We see connections that other people don't always see. And we know that when we meet people, we know the person that they should meet. It's like matching a book with a reader. We match people to people. That's terrific. I want to ask the ultimate question, which is why is the library such a great place to have a makerspace in terms of a school setting? I heard once someone said to me, I'm so excited my school is getting a makerspace. And I said, well, that's interesting. 
it's not really a maker space. It's the idea of making. It's more of a verb than a noun. It's more the action. It's more the what happens inside that person. As librarians, we tend to value more of the process than the product. Sure, the product is great. You know, the, the green screen movie at the end, um, the research paper that you turn into your teacher. But it's that whole process of learning, of failing, of succeeding that's really important because that's how we show kids how to overcome obstacles. Like for example, today I was, I was helping some kids with a works cited page and the teacher had a source, but it was a source from a book and she didn't know what book it was from, but the kids had used this article from the book. And right in front of them, I took the, the article and I started searching for it on the internet. And right in front of them, I was able to find the source of that book. And once kids said, and I was so excited, I was like jumping up and down. And one kid says to me, did you get excited when you were a kid when you cited sources? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, not really. <laughs> but as a kid, I was always excited when I could find that needle in the haystack or I could create the solution to my problem. That always did get me excited. So this yeah. is just the same thing. I wanted to be an archaeologist when I was a kid. Well, I'm a biblioarchaeologist, if you will. I like <laughs> finding the answer. I like making connections. I like discovering. And I think that's what the library is for a lot of kids. It's that place where they feel they can be themselves. It's that place that feels like home. It's that place where... They can create those memories of, I remember when I made this. I remember when I did that. I remember when I listened to this. And I think that's what I want my kids to leave the library with, is that feeling of accomplishment and that feeling of home. And I think libraries do that. We, we unite schools. We serve everyone, every need faculty, administration, students, custodians, coaches. I serve everyone here. And I think that's why libraries are the perfect places for makerspaces because we serve all. You do indeed. It's lovely that you have such an inclusive, welcoming environment for all of your students from all over the world. Thank you so very much, Christina. This has been a real joy talking with you. Thank you so much. Now, we'll talk with two Scholastic employees who are helping to bring the maker movement into homes with the Klutz Maker Lab, their new line of products. Here in the studio are Netta Rabin, Vice President of Product Development at Klutz, and Owen Keating, a Senior Packaging Designer. Arrayed before us are four super fun-looking packages that I can't wait to learn more about. A gumball machine, circuit games, an air blast cannon, and a remote control race car. Hi, Netta. Hi, Owen. Thanks for being here. Morning. Hi, thanks. Okay, we're very excited to have you here to talk about Klutz and the new Maker Lab. So let me start with asking you some basic questions for our listeners who may not know about Klutz. Tell us what it is and what the philosophy is behind the program. 
Sure. So Klutz was actually founded over 40 years ago by a guy named John Cassidy out in California. He started it with a book called Juggling for the Complete Klutz. And what was so amazing about that book is that pretty much the first sentence is saying, drop the ball, because failure is part of our culture at Klutz. And in order to learn, you really need to fail a few times to learn something really meaningful. The philosophy with the anybody can do this mentality lends itself well to the maker line. The ability to do something with relatively limited skill going into it that will provide you with the materials you need to teach you how to do a thing. And you'll make mistakes along the way, but at the end, you'll come up with a new skill and ability that you've learned or something cool you've created. Wonderful. Can you tell us about a typical day for you, what that's like? and what your role is. Why don't we start with you, Ellen? Technically, my title is Senior Package Designer, but we're pretty small at Klutz, and everybody kind of does a lot of different things. And yes, I work on the packages, mainly the structural aspects, you know, how does the box fit? And we spent a long time coming up with just the basic rectangular box for any of the maker line, which it's just a box, but we put a lot of thought into getting to that point. But for me, it's a whole range of different things that I work on, whether it's figuring out what size the box should be or how do things work that go inside it. A lot of the paper and cardboard engineering falls on me and it's a lot of fun to do. So it becomes a matter of trying to figure out how to make something really cool out of everyday materials. Obviously we're making it a lot easier for the kids because everything's punched out and we've written the instructions and told them how to do it. It's a lot of time spent drawing pictures of how I think it's going to work, cutting it out, trying it out, realizing it doesn't work at all, going back, drawing some more pictures, cutting it out, doing it again. It's just a lot of fun. And Meadow, what about you? What do you do all day? I have the fun title of VP product development. So I basically just head up the whole creative team. So um, the designers, the product managers poured into me. And that means I just have a really fun job of getting to make kits and toys and crafts and activities that kids will like. Basically, the questions I ask my staff are, how do we make it cuter? Or how can this be more fun and add play value? It's really a joy every single day. So the maker movement, as we know, is huge. (laughs) It's growing by leaps and bounds. Explain to our listeners who may not be familiar with that what it's all about and why you decided to get into that. Well, I think we've sort of always existed in this space. We just didn't really give ourselves credit for it. You go all the way back to some of the very earliest, even the juggling stuff, it kind of fits in the idea of the learning, the process, and there wasn't really a maker label to attach to it at that point. Definitely we've had products on our line that were obviously maker products, but not branded as such, because that's just part of who we are and what we make. And we realized that we kind of need to give ourselves a little more credit for it and really embrace the maker community. And so We reached out to consultants and tried to make sure that we were really producing a quality product that would fit into the space, but be a lot of fun. Maker, it's really just all about experimentation and play and learning through play. And that is what Klutz is and always has been. But what's really fun about these is that we're really also working with experts and consultants in the field. So people that 
you see when you go to a maker fair or when you read Make Magazine, people that run maker spaces at New York Hall of Science or the Exploratorium out in San Francisco, we're working directly with those people. And they're reading through all of our content, telling us where we think we can leave it a little bit more open, which is hard for us because you really want to make sure the directions are really clear and the kid is going to have a great experience putting it together. But we don't want to tell them too much all the time. We want to give them a little bit of room to experiment and figure things out on their own. So we've been looking at these inviting boxes in front of us. They're very colorful and fun looking. I can't wait to learn more about what's in them. Could you tell us about the Klutz Maker Lab? It's really just our line of STEM STEAM kits for ages 8 plus, based on all of the fundamentals of the maker movement. Right now we have available Gumball Machine. So Gumball Machine is so much fun because a kid is actually getting to make their own Gumball Machine, and it has a twirly-whirly ramp for all of your gumballs to fall down. You can also play with the different ramps so that you could make it just your own. You're learning about simple machines all throughout the book. And it's really a great size. So it's like you build it and it's something that you really own and hold on to and is such a fun looking product. And then for our unofficial product testing on this one, when we were prototyping it, anytime we had kids in the office, they immediately had to stop and play with it. So it was a good sign that it was working out. <laughs> I would have Definitely. loved one of those as a kid. The other kit that we have out right now is called Circuit Games. I love this one because you are learning all about circuits and putting together these really fun five different games using copper tape and LEDs. So you're making the very, I think the kid favorite, right, has got to be our DIY operation game. So you're making a little guy called BuzzBot and you put him all together with LEDs and a buzzer, and then you use these little tweezers to try to take out his little nuts and bolts and screws. And of course, if you touch the sides, it lights up and buzzes. Well, I think it's also, it's really nice because the kids make this cool thing, but in the process of making it, they've probably encountered the operation game before, so they're learning how something they already know in the world functions. So it's a little peek under the hood. And then the next two that we have coming out in October in 2018 are Air Blast Cannon. So that's using pneumatics, um, the power of air, basically, to operate a cannon that goes up, down, left, right, and blasts. So you're learning about the power of projectiles in a really, really fun and interactive way. Also in October 2018 is the Wired Remote Race Car. So you're building your own race car, RC car, these all look so creative and also really fun. Could you walk us through the process, though, from the first idea to the final product? What went into making the air blast cannon, for example? With this one, we had, we had a lot of ideas that sort of got us to this place, that there were various people working with the idea of, you know, plastic tubes and syringes to change air pressure. The most common one is the little robot arm thing, which is cool, but not as cool as an air blast cannon. So we were playing with that, just sort of seeing what existed and how we could use this technology to make something really fun. And so it was just a, a matter of trying different things. And I don't recall how I came up with the cannon part, but... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we were just playing around and jamming something. I think something it involved in several robotic arms and several other wearable. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Things. It might have been just like shoving stuff in there and like 
because it makes a really good popping noise when you shoot it out. Once we got to that, so that was a really cool thing. So then it just became a matter of, all right, now how do we make this work? And then how do we make it work in a way that we can afford and package in a box and all that kind of stuff, which I, I really enjoy designing with that level of constraints. It's fun to think of the idea when everything's totally blue sky, but when you have to bring it back down and say, okay, this box is only nine inches by 12 inches high, so I've got to make everything small enough to fit in there and we can only afford however many syringes so we have to how can we combine utility on things to make it function and you want to be really cool still and I, I think we managed to do that we managed to make a really fun project that is easy enough for a kid to assemble and does something cool when they're finished with it they seem pretty cool to me Thank you both so much for being here. It was really fun talking with you. Oh, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. It's great. Thanks again to our guests for joining us. And thank you for listening. To learn more about the new Klutz Maker Lab or about Christina Holzweiss and her pioneering work with makerspaces, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe in your favorite podcast app, and each episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Everall. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.